marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Barry Peterson. You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. No wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? All right, good morning. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Procacci, and I will be joined by Lilia Dubois this morning. She is my guest, a second-generation cannabis community leader the founder of Humboldt Grace, which is a dream maker project of the Inc. Peoples, which is a nonprofit in Humboldt County, and Chief Community Officer of Canopy Right, a unique blockchain system created to protect legacy cultivars. So together, we're going to be discussing her role in our community, in our wonderful cannabis community here, um, Humboldt Legacy and also Canopy Right, which is a really interesting project that she is working on. We're also going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming Harvest Ball and the farms that are going to be participating in the Small Farmers Initiative. And at the end of the show today, around 945, we'll be opening up the phone lines for all your great comments and questions. So Lele, are you here on the air with us this morning? I am here, and the Wi-Fi is working despite the weather. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, it's a cloudy day here in Mendocino, and it sounds like it's a cloudy day up there, too. Are you up in Humboldt? I'm in Humboldt, and it's a cloudy and wicked windy day, so it's going to be a fun one. Oh, boy. Winter is certainly here. We had the cold moon last night, our last full moon of 2022. We're ready to move on into the new year. So, Lele, thank you so very much for joining us this morning. You are a very special member of our cannabis community, and I'm really excited to hear all about you and about these great projects you're working on. So, if you wouldn't mind just um, telling myself and our listeners, what is your personal relationship with cannabis, just to get this conversation started? <sighs> My personal relationship with cannabis is complex. <laughs> as is the plant itself, right? Um, well, my first memory of the plant, I was at my babysitter's house in diapers, and we climbed on a chair to pull weed out of the Mexi bricks in San Diego. I grew up in a very, I guess, counterculture community in Ocean Beach, and cannabis was a very big part of how that counterculture existed. Um, I have I don't know, like six or seven FBI files on my childhood around that whole part. And what that did is it made my mom want to find a much safer, much kinder place to live. And, it, and it's, it's how we ended up here in Northern California, not to grow cannabis. Um, she was a nurse 
and she actually found a job at a Trinity General in, in Weaverville. And we ended up there, and because she was a nurse, she became the community midwife, and that ingratiated us into the cannabis community just because the folks that were having home births were the back-to-the-landers. And the back-to-the-landers were looking for ways to support themselves within nature. And the plant became a really viable way for us to build our homes and our solar panels and our unique culture where we weren't reliant on um, outside sources, where we became interdependent within our own communities. Um, and that's really the beginning of my relationship with the plant. Um, I had a lot of trauma around it. I think because we had to hide a lot of things as a culture, we were allowed or we became a place to hide other really horrible things. And being a young woman, I got subjected to most of those horrible things. Um, you know, I've been raped. I've had a gun to my head. I've been robbed. Um, and all of this has happened multiple times through the course of my lifetime because in the name of protect your community. Um, so I wasn't really groovy about weed or the community for quite a long time. As a teenager, I rebelled against it. I really wanted to be Nancy Reagan. Um, but then in 1999, I was in nursing school and I ruptured two discs into my spinal cord. And I quickly became completely incapacitated and with eight months, I ended up in a coma from an allergic reaction from the medication protocol that the doctors had me on. And in that coma, I had a spiritual experience. And in that spiritual experience showed me that everything that my mother taught me and that this community taught me was what was going to save my life. And... Um, I came out of that coma and had some real validation that that experience was authentic. And that is when I started utilizing the plant. My little sister came over and I had an apple and she said, please, let's just make you a pipe out of this. And um, that is when I became a daily user of the plant. And that was in 1999. And since then, I realized what a farce my perspective was of my community and of this plant, that all the things that happened to me that I that were so horrible and friends of mine weren't because of the plant. They were because of the drug war. They were because of the oppression that our community had been put through. And that made me a fighter for that. And um, in 2009, I became very public about the politics and I started engaging with uh, dispensary in Humboldt and in Lake County to help normalize this conversation some. Um, and that's when I started getting really involved, not just as a patient, but as an advocate. And I've kind of been doing that ever since 2009. I've grown the plant, I've made medicine of the plant, and the plant helps me heal. I love her very much. I think she's a uh, going to teach this world a lot more than cannabis heals. I think she has a lot to teach, as we do as a culture. Lele, thank you so much for sharing your story about how you journeyed away from the plant and back again. It's um, very touching to hear the experiences that you've had 
and how they actually wound up bringing you back to cannabis and the realizations that you've had are really poignant um, and important. Um, and I do, it does bring up the question for me of how do you feel about regulation? It sounds like you are supportive of cannabis kind of being brought out of the shadows, um, which I am definitely as well. So how do you feel about the current state of affairs? Oh, it rips my heart out. <laughs> it rips my heart out. Um, because I don't, I think our value is not the weight of a plant. I think our value is more in our creations of the plant. I think we're innovators, not farmers. I think we're the mad scientists. And not just around cannabis, but regenerative farming, really around what I was brought in is called the back to the land movement or the back to nature movement. Um, I'm a second generation back to the lander. Um, because of my spinal cord injury, I can't really live how I'd like to because I'm a single mom. But I really believe that the more we help Western civilizations align with indigenous ways, the more sustainable humanity is going to be. And, and those are the things that this plant wants us, I believe, to carry forward. And when legalization happened, you know, I'm not a policy buff. I am a community cheerleader. And I was asked to lead a group um, back in 2014. And that group went to our Board of Supervisors starting permits at 10,000 square feet for a legal cannabis farm. And that immediately put everyone I grew up with out, out of business. You know, no one in, in the 215 market, we were really able to grow every plant and any plant and utilize it effectively to get reimbursed for our costs. Um, and so legalization, when it came, I was a huge proponent in the beginning. I wanted to be able to report, I wanted women that were being raped to be able to report it to the police. I still to this day have women call me who are raped, who won't call the police because they won't, don't want their neighbors to think they're turning them in. You know, and I, that hurts me. And I think we deserve better than that as a culture. So we need this plant to be legal. But should it be regulated like this? Absolutely not. It should be like chamomile. I think chamomile is a really good example of this plant. Um, and I and I will I will think that and feel that until the day I'm not here anymore. However, here we are in this quagmire and mess um but i think there's also a lot of gratitude to have because the people how we got to this mess the folks whoever wrote these policies whoever lobbied for these policies didn't understand our true value and our true value really lies within our spirit in our ability to connect with nature because that is what allows us to grow really unique and diverse cultivars and, and, and phenotypical expressions. We're magic when it comes to that. And you can see that now because science is showing it for us. Did I answer your question? <laughs> I don't know if I Yes. Oh, no. No, yes, you did. Your answers are wonderful. And I love everything that you're sharing. Thank you so much. And I absolutely agree. You know, 
folks should be able to seek the kind of health and services that they need without fear of retribution from their community or fear of getting in trouble. And that definitely is a dark side of our community that has persisted for a long time. And it sounds like that's still persisting, that sort of fear to this day, which is really unfortunate. And I agree that we really do need to dissolve that, but that the effects of Prop 64 have been horrible. Um, have you lost community members up there in your area that have moved away or gone out of business? I can't count how many people I know that have committed suicide. I I, I don't even want to try, to be honest with you. Um, in I was the chair of the Human Rights Commission, and... I learned an interesting fact. I wrote the county's human trafficking fund. And when I was doing research for that, I learned that in 2015, which was pre Humboldt County went legal a little bit early than the state. So in 2015, we were still under 215 law. We had um, 86 call-ins, suicide call-ins a year. In 2016, which is when we went legal, it increased to 264 phone calls, suicide calls, in that year. So that's how legalization is impacting my community. Well, that is heartbreaking to hear, and I certainly have read stories of similar things happening in our communities out here, but... Yes, that is a real effect of Prop 64 and just the upheaval and the, you know, poverty that people are now experiencing and the hopelessness that people feel about how they can possibly move forward after doing one thing their entire lives and not being able to do it anymore. So thank you for being real with us about what's going on in your community. I think it's really important to share what's happening out there so everybody is aware. So, um, yeah, no, say some more. I want to say that we, we just, we still have all our value. We still have all our resources. We still can survive without the system. We're still able to feed, feed each other. We're still able to house each other. When we go back to our original values of a sharing economy, we have everything we need within the Emerald Triangle, which gives us so much more control over our destiny than we think we have in this moment. Um, and there's so much more that we're going to get into later around canopy right that I see around that. But I, I just don't want to leave it on that note. I, I, I feel so passionate about us as a whole, not because of cannabis, but because of our back to the land values and our understanding how to build a culture through sharing and external and not external but re natural resources within our own regions I, that is a gift covid has shown us how the world needs to understand that they do not have to be an indigenous tribe to live by those values absolutely and it reminds me that you know true abundance is not just monetary it's also in our resources and in our community right and we're definitely abundant in resources and the ability to grow food and raise animals and be in our communities and share here in the Emerald Triangle. So, yes, thank you for bringing that up. Always important to try to leave it on a positive note. And 
on the note of positive notes, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, Humboldt Grace? Oh, yes. Um, let's see. Well, I like to say it's a love story because the name came from a man that I was that loved me very much. And when he came into our community, he was from South Africa. And when he came into our community, he saw the opportunity for revitalizing in 2009. And also is the first person outside of my cannabis network to make me feel valued as a cannabis person. He knew about my growing weed when a lot of the folks in my life in San Diego didn't know my background. And he saw what we see today. And he showed me the vision in 2009 of how we, we could become Napa Valley and all these magical things. And he came up with the name Humboldt Grace as a brand for me. I'm, I'm not... I get a little self-conscious. I'm kind of shy in a lot of ways. I'm not when I'm speaking for something or someone else, but when it comes to me, I get a little shy. You wouldn't know it because I can talk up a storm. Um, but when legalization came about, when Humboldt County started permits at 10,000 square feet, I saw families with five children going hungry in a few years. I saw our community imploding because at that time we had said there was over 10,000 farms in the region working in the medical market and that 10,000 square feet eliminated, eliminated like 90% of those farms to be legal and put them at risk. And so I got really concerned and I just dove down and I started learning and I wanted to do good things. I wanted to create a basket, a place for people to have trust, a place for people to feel like, you know, they were going to get some support. Not, you know, I'm just a one woman at the time. So what could I do? But I could learn and I could build and I learned about business. Um, I helped build a, a group called Women Empowered in Cannabis, which is actually how Chia and I met. Um and I just went out there and learned and created the name. Um, I just started using the name. And then when COVID hit, I, I resigned from Sensi Magazine and was like, I'm going to put all my effort into what I think needs to happen. Instead of not getting paid to help everybody else do what they think needs to happen, I'm going to not get paid and do what I think needs to happen. And so I did what Kira taught me to do with Women Empowered in Cannabis is I created a community online called Humboldt Grace, a, a community gathering place to just start showing the light, showing a different pathway forward to remind to remind us of all these back to the land values, to, to let us to, to really to place a mirror for everyone to see their beauty, because that's all I do is I just see how amazing everyone is and, and what this life creates in a person is so exceptional. Um, and I wanted a place to shine that light on our community, to, to empower our community with that light. And it really started out like that. Um, COVID hit a few months after I started the group and we had about 1800 people in the group at the time. And so we did a give and receive program where we sent masks, 
car, uh, money cards, um, food, toiletries, all sorts of things. Um, we didn't do it. We just set it up so people could connect and send it to themselves. And we managed to help about 50 people during COVID, which was really amazing. Um, and then the past two years, we've been doing a project called the Fire Recovery Project. We did an online five-hour streamathon, I guess you would call it, and raised about $5,000. And we've given um, that all of that $5,000 to farms with through 500 voucher 500 vouchers through ag supplies and building supplies and um daisy supply helped us with that and then because that project was so successful the ink people they they sponsored me with that project so i could do it fiscally responsible through a nonprofit, and it was such a success um, that they, we, we created a lot of media for everybody, um, that they invited us to be a dream maker, which means we're now like legit nonprofit. Um, and then we started what's called the legacy project, uh, two years ago, which is really what's been my dream, um, from the beginning, which is creating a way to protect us authenticate us and really show value for us and that's been a project that we've been doing for two years we have about 94 people that come in and out across the world our meetings can be anywhere from six to 30 people um and we've been working on an auction that protects authenticates and validates cultivars um it's a very unique complex auction um through mentorship of some really amazing folks in the auction business, um, I was able to learn that auctions were used to, to educate people on the value of fine art so people could understand the quality of unique pig pigments and brush strokes and, and, and value, you know, what a Renoir should cost. And so that model, we put together um, a model that does that that helps educate the the buyer on the true value of the cultivars and through this process we have seen cultivars go out the door from anywhere from 1700 to we actually in our network have a cultivar that went out the door for fifteen thousand dollars because of its profile these are really unique circumstances um but I believe we're a very unique community that has a lot of amazing diversity um, that's going to blow the rest of the world away as we start really looking at it. And, and that's really what the Legacy Project auction is about, is looking at the plant through a scientific lens, through the history, and putting packages together so it really shows the value of the cultivar. And what we have found through looking at these cultivars this way is that we don't have to say anything about how amazing we are. When we look at the plant, we can see we're amazing. The plant sings for us. We can see that a microclimate creates a really unique profile. We can see that certain regions and certain breeders have allele mutations in the dna we can see that 
outdoor sun grown is really special because of what it produces. Um, we just have to start engaging and utilizing science. And we've been really afraid to do that, right? Because bad things have happened when we let our stuff out the door and we don't get valued for it. We don't, we don't get credit for it. Um, and that has been a really big pain point for our community, myself included. I've been impacted by that. Um, so we wanted to find ways, create solutions, and that's where Canopy Right came in. Um, it really is a solution that allows us to participate safely in this bigger market. So the legacy project you're talking about with these auctions that you do, which sound absolutely fascinating, and the um, and Canopy Right are two separate projects. Is that correct? Absolutely. The Legacy Project is a completely volunteer project. Every single person that came to the table, we wrote a white paper. It has come to, to our table every Friday for an hour and a half for almost two years. Um, all these folks from the different companies, we've got lab companies, we've got breeders from across the globe. They've all come together because they saw the same problem and they've been working on the problem. So all these brilliant people said, hey, yes, we see your connection to the community. We see your integrity. So we're willing to come to your table and have this conversation and share information. And so everybody shared. And Canopy Right, Jeff Hamilton, he's the founder. He actually had a client that was impacted um, by someone dishonoring the integrity of holding genetics and he went oh my gosh he's a lawyer he's a brilliant lawyer he's a brilliant corporate attorney with a beautiful bright shining heart um and he said oh my goodness my client's most valuable asset is the seeds in their drawer and there is no way for them to protect it and there's no way for them to monetize it and so he was working, we didn't know each other, completely separately on and investing his own money on developing a very unique blockchain system, a blockchain system that even the administrators, meaning the owners of it, can't access. Only the key holders, which would be the breeders, can access it. Um, and he came to me and said, I think I have what you need but I need your help and I need your community's help to do it right. And he, first of all, he agreed to make it free to design it so it would be free to our community because we have so many people struggling right now. I also said it needs to be available to home growers because so many of our valuable assets are within the hands of home growers and we don't want them getting into somebody else's hands like a big company we don't want or something, you know. We want to protect the integrity of those genetics. We, we don't want to see them um, bastardized by some other company. Um, and he went to the IT team and they said they could do that. And we found a, a way to allow home, home growers to safely use the system. Um, and he had already built in smart licensing contracts, which is exactly where I think our community should be working from. Um, yet, for me to sit down with a farmer, we have 
first of all, I want to clarify, Jen, we haven't had the auctions yet. The auction is going to be one big auction. We're hoping all the community involved, which takes time. Um, so we put it off because we want we want more um, community involvement. Um, but we have a really unique strain, a really special strain that we're going to auction off. So it's going to elevate everyone who's participating. It has a very rare allele in it, which is a DNA mutation. Um, so we know it's going to be really fun and exciting. Um, but what we've done is privately we've had these deals. We have had success. There's a brand that's going out in the markets soon. It'll be launching in six states um, that is actually launching with a local cultivar. And the owner of that local cultivar will be receiving a royalties agreement or it has a royalties agreement with that brand. So all those, and it's a pre-roll brand. So all those pre-rolls that go out the door, that breeder, that nursery will get paid on each pre-roll, a percentage. They also got paid, that company got 30 cultivars to test those to make to see what they wanted because they wanted a very specific profile. Um, they wanted a low THC and a high mercine profile. And they went and tested that. They paid a very high rate. And I won't tell you the rate, but I can tell you it's about 500 times the normal rate of what a clone is in a dispensary. Um, to test those cultivars first. So even if that licensing agreement didn't go through, that farm already got for those cultivars so much more value out of the plant than if it was just weight going out the door. Um, and so we couldn't even have those conversations without saying, oh my gosh, you're going to have to spend $20,000 to talk to a lawyer and go through patenting and oh, that's the only way we can protect you. And that's just not realistic. And patenting a plant is not something you can do for every plant. It has to be unique. It has to have something very unique in order to, to go through that process. Um, and Jeff had come up with a solution that is incredibly low cost and feasible for our community and he designed it in a way that it was completely accessible um so it gave us canopy right gave us the opportunity to be able to start gathering what we knew would authenticate it which is dna tests can do that years of coa research can do that you know if you've got a couple years of your coas of a certain cultivar that shows someone else how stable that cultivar is, that that cultivar can produce these profiles repeatedly. Having the information on your soil, on your climate, on your nutrients, all of those things add value to these contracts. You know, before we didn't want to give that information away. But imagine if you share that information through a contract, and instead of getting $12 a clone, you get $2,000 a clone because you're willing to share that information, plus a 3% royalty. Um, you know, it's just a much smarter marketplace for us to work in, and it also allows us to go back 
to being those innovators and those gardeners and having those beautiful gardens with really dank weed instead of busting our asses off trying to grow enough weed to just barely feed our families. Absolutely. So this is a really interesting way that um, growers can participate in sort of multi-state operation moving forward it sounds like um you know i think we've all thought about what's going to happen when federal legalization comes around or if we're able to do interstate transport prior to that point in time hoping that our emerald triangle um, legacy and reputation will carry us into these new places um, with our cannabis. But it's interesting to think of not even just bringing our actual dried flower, but our um, the value of our genetics and being able to sort of license them out without losing control over them and having other people take them and propagate them and claim them as their own. And it sounds like that's where canopy right comes in, right? To protect people's... Um, protect people's special genetics that they've been stewarding for a really long time. So could you explain to our listeners who might not know what exactly a blockchain is and how that's going to protect people's um, information (laughs) on canopy, right? Yes. It took me a little while to figure it out. Um, It's actually so simple. And I had this brilliant um, tech person uh, he's a part of the Ethica Data Alliance, which is an amazing organization. His name is Christian Fossier. And he explained it to me, and I finally got it. And this is how I like to explain it. Blockchain is exactly the same concept as a safe deposit box in a bank. A safe deposit box, right, is a safe place that you can put things that no one else has access to but you, You and the bank have to put your two keys together to get it in. That's how blockchain works. It's a digital space to put your assets in safely and, and, and you can access it. So it's like, it's like a little bank. Canopy right is a little bit different in that we utilize the blockchain and we tweaked it a little bit. We're a safe deposit box, um, that, that is digital. Um, that doesn't, your DNA stays with you. We digitally timestamp it for you and your, your data, but there's only one key and that's you. You have the key. You're the only person with the key to that safe deposit box. We as administrators cannot access, we cannot harvest is the word I like to use because I think there's a big conversation around how data is harvested from people, but that's a whole nother conversation. But we cannot harvest your information, whether we wanted to or not. If we were to end up selling our company to somebody horrible or anything horrible like that, all the things we're afraid of, we cannot access your information um, to do that, to benefit from that. You have to give people permission to access that information. You also can put it publicly on the marketplace and then we can see it. But that is completely in the breeder and the grower's hands. I love to say we truly are working to put the power back into the farm's hands. That's great. And, you know, when we were talking yesterday um, in preparation for our show, 
we had brought up the concept of um, like genetic mapping. You know, there are some programs out there. I know Phylos has one of them called the Phylos Galaxy, where folks can, um, you know, they can submit their the DNA of their cultivars, which they do through submitting plant tissue. And then their cultivars are analyzed and their DNA is sort of put on this map and it shows you what other cultivars your cultivar is related to, which I think is cool and interesting, especially as a grower myself. Um, I've been working with some genetics for many years that I've been breeding and now consider, you know, to be the proprietary genetics of my farm. But the only background I have of them is sort of these like stories um, from my community members of where they came from. And I'm totally interested in doing something like genetic mapping and seeing how they're related to other strains. But there's definitely a lot of fear in our community and concern. Um, I would say like valid concern about the DNA from your proprietary cultivars being kept and kind of maybe being used in ways that you would not consent to it being used. So is this something that Canopy Right could help protect me from if I wanted to use something like the Phylos Galaxy to map uh, my proprietary genetics? Simply put, yes. It is. First, I don't want to imply that all the labs and all the DNA testing are going to steal your information. However, things happened, as we all know, um, and that is exactly what this does. This gives you a place to, before you send it off to a lab, to a tissue culture person who wants to look at it, to a university that wants to look at it. Before you do this, this gives you the ability to say at this time, to create a timestamp and say that at this time, this cultivar was in my hands. So if there was some mishandling, uh, misappropriation, you would have the ability to go, and then you see that in the market, you would have the ability to, to, to test your DNA and test that DNA and go, no, you know, X lab, X company, this was in my possession before this. Um, so it absolutely gives you some leverage around those situations. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. It's the soul. It's the reason it was created, actually. <laughs> I love that. And um, thank you for sharing that. So when Canopy Right comes online, which I think you said you're hoping for Canopy Right to come online in the fall, how will people be able to participate? Like, what does the process look like for folks that, um, you know, want to register their strains on Canopy, right? So right now we are onboarding um, community breeders. Um, my goal is to create a really solid foundation of authentic cultivars with real true folks in there and right now we are a third of the way there um thanks to help of a lot of great people like chia rodriguez and rob go lightly and sarah shoots they've been really on the ground helping me find those folks and get those folks in the system we're in beta right now and so when those folks come in the system they've been a real help in ensuring that when we do launch this is just shines as beautiful as their cultivars shine 
Um, but we are we want breeders to come in and judge us, tell us where we're messing up. We want people to see it now. It is live, but we're not letting it go public because one, we want to give our breeders an opportunity to get their cultivars really dialed in and looking good. And two, we want to be really dialed in and looking good. And the community needs to let us know where we need to make fixes. And we're in the process of all those conversations right now. Um, we were planning on launching the app um, this weekend at the Cup. However, just like all other cannabis companies, we had a major hurdle with payment processing, um, which we just overcame and have secured. So now we get to move forward with getting the app on iPhones and Androids. Um, but we are live privately where we're if anybody wants to participate or even just get in and see it with us um reach out to me at uh you can find me all over social media but probably the easiest quickest way would be on instagram at canopy right or my name lalania at canopy right um you can also go to our website and i'll get the email from there www.canopyright.info is the information site and the beta site is www.canopyright.com. Awesome. Thank you for bringing up the cup. I wanted to say that the 2022 Harvest Ball is happening this weekend, which is very exciting. Lele, it sounds like you're going to be there. Um, I'm going to be there too with my farm wild and cannabis. And we will be over it um, with the uh, at the booth from Mendocino Cannabis Distro with a couple other small farms. And I just wanted to give a shout out to all the small farms that are going to be participating as part of the Small Farmers Initiative. The Small Farmers Initiative is a program through the Emerald Cup and also Origins Council and Mendocino Cannabis Alliance where they work together to provide reduced cost and also complimentary booths to small farmers from all over the state. So I just wanted to shout out to those small farmers and read who's going to be there. So we have Hungry Hollow Farm, Shepherd's Meadow Farm, Sunrise Mountain Farms, Whitethorn Valley Farm, Booney Acres, Natire, Foxworthy Farms, Down Ohm Farms, one straw farm wham phytotherapies they were all the selected small farms for the complimentary booths and the small farms that were selected for the discounted booths were pern family farm humboldt 36 farms soul spirit farm noble gardens gold ridge cannabis tilth farms burrs place organics and tall tree society and, you know, those farms represent some of the best craft cannabis available in the state of California. So if you are at the Harvest Ball this weekend, do not miss the opportunity to check them out. They will be in the craft cannabis marketplace. I will also be there with my farm Wildland Cannabis. I will be in a booth with Sunbright Gardens, That Good Good and Silver Dragon Farms. We're all from Mendocino. And we're also going to be right next to Mendocino Producers Guild, which is going to feature First Cut Farms, Lovingly and Legally, Sunroots Farm, and Marijuana Farm, all in the craft cannabis marketplace. That's really where you're going to be able to find the authentic vibes. 
So come on down and say hi. And Lele, I hope that you'll be hanging out with us in the craft cannabis marketplace too. It sounds like it would be a good place to tell folks about Canopy, right? You bet. And I can tell everybody that I've gotten to see some of the flavors coming out of a lot of those farms you mentioned, and they are off the <laughs> So you bet I'm going to be there. There, you, there are some amazing, amazing folks, and there are some really special flavors coming out this year. Thank you. Yes, there are. And so we're going to keep chatting about the Harvest Ball and Canopy Right and everything that's good with that. But if you have a question or a comment, you're out there listening, you want to ask Lele something about Canopy Right or anything she's discussed, feel free to give us a call. We're going to open up our phone lines. That number is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. If you want to join our conversation today. All right, Lele, something that I wanted to ask you um, and make sure we covered today sort of went back to your personal journey with cannabis. Um, You talked a lot about cannabis helping you heal your trauma, and it sounded like it helped you also with your back pain. And I wanted to ask if there's certain cultivars that you really love to use that you find really help you specifically. (laughs) Oh, that's such a hard question for me. You know, I have to be... It, it, it tends to be farmers, not cultivars. But then the farmers produce a certain cultivar that just lights me up. Um, and I I love to be lit up. So I love the fruit. I love, you know, the sparks. Um, and, and then I also find regionally there's differences that, that you can't even, it's not compared. Like, you can't compare apples to oranges, you know? Um, so I tend to more, like, get hooked on a farm. Um, but I'll, because I don't want to, like, put myself in a corner with anybody, um, you know, there this year, what I'm seeing that makes me so excited is this diversity of flavor. We're really starting to, like, push, like, look at the terpenes, play with the terpenes, the esters, all these pieces that really create the magical experience. And what I see, my favorite farms always happen to be at the highest peak of the mountain with a cool breeze that comes through at night because it just makes those terpenes sing um, and there's just something about those sweet spots on those high, high mountain ranges that you can't replicate. And someone asked me the other day, like, oh, well, why do farms have to be, you know, up in the hills? They need to be on ag land. Like, that doesn't make sense, does it to you, Lele? And I went, well, small farms need to be up there because of the diversity and what it creates. You know, they don't have to be huge, but in order to get that special something, we need those higher microclimates. Um, So I don't, I, my two old go back to school forever cultivars are AFGU and Trainwreck. Um, And my Trainwreck seems to be a little different than everybody else's Trainwreck, but those are my two go-tos. Can't get enough of those two. 
Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts on craft cannabis grown up in the hills because I couldn't agree more. And I love to hear you say that it's for you. It's not even so much cultivar specific, although you do have your favorites. It's really regional for you because that really is um, the message of sun-grown cannabis that I think we need to really get out into the greater consumer's awareness here is that it's not that the region, the regional traits carry so much value that it's hard to put into words. Um, there's the a magical energy, so to speak, at the risk of sounding totally woo-woo, that is in these strains that are grown in these really special places. They absorb this energy. They are affected by all the various elements of the microclimate, which is different all over in different places of the county. And it really does become something truly special that you cannot replicate in a greenhouse in the desert, for example. So I'm so happy to hear you say that that is something that you really notice when you choose your medicine, that it is affected by the place in which it's grown. And that is something that I'm so interested in seeing pushed forward with something like the Appalachians Project. Uh, Have you heard about the Appalachians Project and this concept of sort of identifying cannabis by, by the different areas in which it's grown? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I I love it. Um, But here's what we've seen is when you look at the plant with the science, she tells you all of this. When you look at those profiles and you look at how they express and you look at the genetics and you compare, you can see all of it. You can see the differentiation in the microclimates. You can see the differentiation in the grower. Um, And so, what we hope to inspire is now that there's a safe place to go and then put yourself out there that more people will start utilizing those scientific tools so their plant sings for them because I, I, I can't express enough how much she sings for us when we put the light on her. It's, it's just beautiful. We're all going to be singing this weekend at the Harvest Ball together for sure in this great celebration of community that we've been enjoying for, I think, uh, this is the second Harvest Ball, but coming up in the spring, if I'm not wrong, will be the 19th Emerald Cup. So that has been a great many years that we've been gathering together in this way as a community. And I absolutely can't wait. And speaking of community, we have a couple more minutes left here where we can hear from our community if they feel called to do so. Um, If you're out there listening and you want to call in with a question or comment, we've got our lines open and that number is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. And we're talking Harvest Ball. We are talking Canopy Right and we're talking Lele's journey here in the cannabis community. You know, when we spoke um, this morning, you mentioned that there was, uh, we talked about your unique name and you (laughs) mentioned that there was a connection between your beautiful name and the cannabis community. Do you want to tell us a little about that? Sure. Well, in 2014, when I... Can I pause you there, Lele? I'm so sorry. We just got a call. So can you hold that thought and we'll put this person through and then we'll go back to that. Caller, you're live on the Cannabis Hour. Are you here with us? Yeah. Um, you keep mentioning the Harvest Ball, but you don't say where it is or when oh, it is. Thank you so much for pointing that out. The Harvest Ball will be taking place this weekend in Santa Rosa at the Santa Rosa Fairgrounds. So that is going to okay. be Saturday and Sunday this weekend. And if you want more information, you can visit emeraldcup.com. 
and you will be able to find the link for all the information and how you can get tickets there. And so that's at the Santa Rosa Fairgrounds. And thank you for pointing that out. Thank you. Thanks, okay, caller. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Okay, great. Lele, would you like to go back to telling us the connection between your beautiful name and our beautiful community? Sure. Well, Lelania is quite a mouthful. And usually, my, my mom had a running joke, the first man who can say my name correctly on the first go is who I should marry. <laughs> and it's not happened yet. <laughs> so it's always a conversation. Oh, how do you say that? What, where'd that come from? And as a political leader in the cannabis conversation, you want to be able to access the conversation immediately and focus on what you're discussing and what you're there to discuss because it's so important. And what would happen at our community meetings is I would be introduced as the president of this organization and and everybody would say my name and it would get butchered and it'd end up being a laugh and it would be like a 10, 15 minute conversation all because of my name. And so one of my board members said, can we just call you Lele? And I said, sure. And it is stuck and it's been Lele ever since. And I'm grateful for it because it does allow me to go into conversations and not have this whole thing about my name and where it came from and its origin, but just go in and say, hey, I'm Lele and talk about what needs to be talked about. <laughs> um, so it was changed to help dive in and get right to the conversation instead of having it be all about my name. Oh, that's great. But ironically, we're having a conversation about it right now because I asked. So thank you for explaining that. Lele, as we reach the end of our time here today, we've got about four minutes left. I just want to make sure that folks get a summary of what we've talked about today and also that they know how to contact you. So today we've been talking to Lele Dubois. She is a second generation cannabis community leader. She's the founder of Humble Grace Legacy Project, and she is also the Chief Community Officer of Canopy Right, which is a unique blockchain system created to protect legacy cultivars. And so if folks want to find out more about any of your projects, can you give out the websites and your contact information as well? And also if you have an email, because not everybody uses social media. Absolutely. So Canopy Right, you can find at www.canopyright.info and you can reach me through that website. You can find me personally on Instagram with my name, which is Dubois on Instagram. Um, the spelling l-e-l-e-h-n-i-a dot l-e-l-e dot d-u-b-o-i-s um you can find me on instagram there humboldt grace and the humboldt grace legacy project and canopy right all on instagram and then to email me the the easiest email online would probably be l-e-l-e-h-n-i-a at canopyright.com c-a-n P, oh gosh, I'm not going to spell it right. <laughs> C-A-N-O-P-Y-R-I-G-H-T <laughs> dot com. Thank you so much. And I want to give one more shout out for everyone that helped organize the Small Farmers Initiative this weekend at the Harvest Ball. That would be Tim Blake, the Emerald Cup founder, Michael Katz of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, 
Janine Coleman of Origins Council, Chris Anderson of Redwood Roots Distribution, Nicholas Smilgies of Mendocino Cannabis Distribution, Tracy Pellar of the Mendocino Producers Guild and Brandy Moulton of Sovereign 707. The council worked with the Emerald Cup to evaluate license distribution among Northern California's heritage cannabis producing counties and allocated a proportional number of participants per county, which was a huge amount of work. So much work goes into this event in general, but especially into the Small Farms Initiative, which really serves to elevate small farmers in our community. So I really want to say thank you to everyone that is in that group for organizing that. We have all those great farms that I mentioned earlier that are going to be down there in the Craft Cannabis Marketplace. And then there will be a group booth with Mendocino Producers Guild, which is a local organization here, and also Mendocino Cannabis Distro. So we're all going to be there together. We're going to be having a great time. Those farms that are going to be there again are Hungry Hollow Farm, Shepherd's Meadow Farm, Sunrise Mountain Farms, White Thorn Valley Farm, Boonie Acres, Natire, Foxworthy Farms, Boonie Acres, Down Ohm Farms, One Straw Farm, Wham Phytotherapies, Perrin Family Farm, Humboldt 36 Farms, Soul Spirit Farm, Noble Gardens, Gold Ridge Cannabis, Tilth Farms, Burr's Place Organics, Tall Tree Society, Wildland Cannabis, Sunbreak Gardens, That Good Good, Silver Dragon Farms, First Cut Farms, Lovingly and Legally, Sunroots Farm, and Marijuana Farms. So we all look forward to seeing you this weekend at the Santa Rosa Fairgrounds. Visit theemeraldcup.com for more information. And if I don't see you this weekend, I'll be back two weeks from today with another episode of the Cannabis Hour for you. Thank you, Lele, for joining us, and I hope you all have a beautiful day. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.